10. We're going to begin in just a moment reading in verse 13. Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. As I shared earlier, this is our student ministry emphasis, our student and children ministry. It's such a vital ministry uh, in the life of, of our church. I was saved, I came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ just a few months shy of my 10th birthday back in 1974. And at that time when I trusted Christ, I couldn't give you a dissertation on what it meant to be a Christian. Um, I didn't know all of the books of the Bible. I had very few scriptures uh, to my memory, but I knew that Jesus died for me. I knew that he arose from the dead, and I knew that if I repented of my sin and placed my faith in him, that I would be saved. That happened on a Sunday evening. Uh, I was in a worship service at my home church in Appomattox, Virginia. They had seating in the round. There were actually three rows. There was a center row. There was one to the left of the preacher, one to the right. And that night, I was sitting at what for me would be like 2 o'clock, and we were watching a Billy Graham Evangelistic Association movie. I remember just the picture of Christ dying on the cross, and this gospel message that I'd heard so often became very real to me, and I realized that it was my sins that Jesus died for. And I can remember grieving and just saying, I need to do something. I need to identify with him. And the preacher that night offered an invitation for anybody to come forward if they wanted to let the congregation know that they decided to follow Christ. And I took that first step out. And that began the journey of my Christian life. You know, this general scene repeats itself in countless places over countless years. Young people hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, believing on it with their heart, and making a public profession in Christ. We saw it a few weeks ago with Mally. Mally Beasley coming forward and identifying with Christ and wanting to follow Jesus. As she came forward, it made me think of my daughter who's coming in this afternoon with me at the age of five and a half. We had a revival service. Reverend Al Miller from Chattanooga was preaching and there was just a connection there when he was preaching the gospel that night. And my daughter believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, children are important. And, and I just want to share this because I didn't know where else I would fit it. But I feel like I, I need to now. From time to time, people will visit our church cemetery. And, and, and if I observe that and I observe that they're there for a while, I just try to go out and make conversation. Yesterday, Carl was cutting the grass, and, and when he was about halfway through, I noticed these three men. The youngest was a little older than I. Uh, they came out to the cemetery, and as they made their way, they made their way down to uh, the far southeast corner. And the three of them were, were talking. And so I went up. I began to know their story. And they began to tell me that they were visiting cousins uh, who had passed away. They were trying to uh, just make contact, find out the details. And it had been a number of years since they had been to Concord. And as we began to talk, 
uh, they began to talk about various churches in the area, and the question they had, uh, they would name a church, and they say, are they still meeting? And even though it was not a Sunday, they could realize that there was not a lot happening there. And it began to grieve my heart because every church is one generation from closing its doors. Every church. There's no more important ministry in ever in history than our ministry to our children and our youth. Statisticians speak about what's called the 4 to 14 window. I'd never heard of that. I've heard of the 1040 window, which is an area of the uh, globe that is very difficult to reach in, in geography. They speak of the 4 to 14 window, and that is a time when a person is most likely to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean everybody. One of my closest friends came to know Christ at age 26 in, in seminary. I met him right before he came to seminary, about two years before he came to a saving knowledge of Christ. But this 4 to 14 window is interesting to me. The International Bible Society says that 83% of people who trust in Christ do so between the age of 4 and 14. The Global Ministry Center of the Church of the Nazarene said that 85% of people who will believe on the Lord Jesus will do so within that same window, 4 to 14 years of age. Now, I was a math major in school. I love statistics, but I'll say this. If that's what the truth is, why are we not putting more emphasis in this age group? Ministry to children and youth is urgent and essential, and these statistics speak to the urgency of the task at hand. Look with me at Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. It says there, People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to him, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them. And bless them. These words that we just read were spoken by Jesus in the latter part of his Judean ministry. Uh, we have recently studied Easter. We observed Holy Week. We, uh, for the weeks leading up to Resurrection Sunday, we went through the events, the teachings, the encounters that Jesus had uh, during Holy Week. But in but prior to Holy Week was uh, Jesus' latter Judean ministry as he was making his way toward Jerusalem in the times ahead for his to-be entrance to Jerusalem. So in verses 13 through 16 here, Jesus is in the midst of his teaching. And the people bring little children to him. It's that word like paideon, which is the be like toddlers or children maybe that couldn't even read. And they brought them so that he might touch them. And, and so we see the desire of these people. They had an admirable desire. They wanted to 
bring children to Jesus. But the interesting thing is the response of the disciples. Believing this to be an intrusion, they try to rebuke and stop the people who are bringing the children to Jesus. And as Jesus observed this wrong action and attitude that was beneath it, the scripture says that he became angry, that he was upset. And so he used this opportunity to teach two truths, the truths that the kingdom of God is for children and that if we are to enter the kingdom of God, there are certain attributes children possess that we too must possess. This morning, I want to look first at the value of the kingdom of the children, rather, to the kingdom of God. And then after that, I want to look at what Jesus said about how we are to enter into that kingdom. But first, the value of children in the kingdom of God. You know, you can tell a lot about a person, about what makes that individual angry. If it's something that they're really indifferent toward, you won't see much anger. I, I read the story once of, of a man who lost his life over a nickel, and I thought over one nickel, but I guess possessions meant something to that individual. But often when we think of anger, we think of it from a human-centered perspective. We think of rage. We think of uncontrolled anger. We think of self-centeredness and don't bother me and don't affect me and that bristling up. But when Jesus exhibited anger, it was never uncontrolled. In fact, Jesus' anger was his righteous response to an injustice or a wrong that he observed. And so as he was teaching here, and as he noticed the disciples trying to deter people from bringing children to him, the scripture says that he was indignant. Now, he did not often become indignant with the disciples. I mean, sometimes he would say, why are you sleeping? And he would obviously be somewhat disturbed. But the, the, the verb here is really um, that he was angry, that he became angry, that he demonstrated anger toward them. And, and this anger... Uh, was the same word that was used later in this chapter. You may remember when the disciples were arguing over position in the kingdom, James and John wanted to be at the right and the left hand of God, and, and the other ten became indignant. Who are you to try to get one up on the ten of us? And so this word is a descriptive word, but it was a word that was not often used toward the disciples, toward the religious leaders, yeah, toward the money changers in the temple, yeah. But this was toward the disciples. And so it led me to begin to just do a brief study this week of the anger of Jesus. There was a man, Jeffrey Curtis Poor, who listed six times Jesus was angry. He was angry over the human condition. Remember when Lazarus died and all the grief that was around and the consequences of sin, Jesus was angry. He was angry when people put rules ahead of people. The Jewish leaders did that, and that angered Jesus. He was also angry over something very similar, self-righteous judgmentalism, where someone could not see the sin in his or her own eye but could easily pick out another's. He, he was angry of people who made it tough for people to come to Jesus. I think of the money changers who were monopolizing 
in the situation. They were taking advantage of it, but they were making it difficult for people to be able to enter into the presence of God at the temple. Of selfish ambition, that was the fifth thing that angered uh, praying loud on street corners and trying to say, look at me, look at me. But then there was the sixth that Jeffrey Curtis Poor listed, pushing aside children. And the bad thing here, it was believers who were doing that. It was believers who got it all wrong. And so we see, as we look at it today, that Jesus has a heart for children. And, and I want to tell you today, he still has a heart for children. He has a heart for this younger generation. Uh, you know, I heard so many uh, stories of the generation above me. They would somehow walk five miles uphill to school and from school. I'm trying to figure how that could both be true. I guess they had to walk at least 10 miles plus a piece. But you know what? I'll be honest, I would rather do that than to face what our young people are going to have to face today. What they're having to face is beyond anything that we've ever experienced. And the church is to be a haven. The church is to be a mission center. The church is to be a mission sending organization. And it is the church that is given the responsibility to do the one thing that will change your heart and change the world, and that is to teach the Word of God. We've given, we've been given that moral responsibility. I want to look today at four ways that you can make a difference in the children of our community and our church. There are four simple ways. I want to look at that, and then we'll look finally at one more verse as to how a person can become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first way that you can make a difference in a child's life in this church or community is to engage with them. Jack Martin was a senior adult when I was a child. He probably has passed away 30-some years ago. But Jack and his wife, Maud, Maud stood about yay tall, Jack was a, a tough guy. He sat second row left of the preacher on that wing I told you about. My family sat third row left of the preacher. Every day we had that, every Sunday rather, we had that routine. And I can still remember Jack, who was probably 75 to 80 years old when I was five or six. He'd say, let me see your hands. He wouldn't know if I was still biting my fingernails. He would be sad to know I'm still biting my fingernails. I looked it up. I was curious how many people, adults, still bite their fingernails. Only 10% of males over age 30 still bite their fingernails. I'm in the 10%. But the fact that he checked on me every week meant something to me. In fact, if he wasn't there, I missed him. And when he was there, he made contact with me. And you know what that communicated? He says, I know you're here and you matter to me. It was important to him. And I try to follow his example. If you see me at church, I'm at some point during the day, Sunday school or worship, trying to connect with a child. Trying to connect with a child. I thought back to that uh, terrible thing that happened a number of years ago at Virginia Tech with the shooting, the 32 people who lost their lives. 
and they had the observance of it here a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I thought about that young guy, and as they, they began to tell his story, he was totally neglected as a child. And, and I said at that moment, and you may have remembered, may it never be a child that comes at this church that does not matter. We need to engage with children. Prime time on Sunday was 10 minutes before the service and 10 minutes after. It was hard for me to reel everybody in. And we start a couple of minutes to the hour. Why? Because that's great visiting time. The, the churchyard is great visiting time afterwards. But so many times, and I'm guilty of it too, we gravitate toward people that have similar interests or things, but how intentional we need to be to engage the children. Hey, I'm glad you're here. I think about Jack Martin often, and that's been 50 years ago. The second way that you can make a difference with children is pray for them. We say that often, but how important prayer is. We need to pray for our young people. We need to pray for the challenges that they are going to face. We need to pray wisely. We need to understand the culture, the challenges that are before them, and we need to begin praying for them. We need to pray for our minister to students, Matt. H have you ever gone up to Matt and say, Matt, how can I pray for you? And Matt may know or he may say, just, just pray for me. But, but pray for wisdom, pray for strength, pray for growth and administration, all of these things, we can pray for them. Pray that the children who come to this church will be excited to hear the word of God. You know, Berea, B-E-R-E-A, is a place not often mentioned in the Bible. But in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, we see the people of Berea were commended. In fact, it's written there, the people in Berea were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since the people in Berea received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now let's make no mistake, as we pray for our young people, it is for their spiritual growth. The ministry to youth and children is not entertainment-based. It is scripturally based. Entertainment comes and goes. Entertainment is here. You enjoy it. You forget it. Before long, the next thing moves on. But what is important is the word of God. And the people of Berea, they were excited. They received the word with eagerness. They searched the scriptures daily. In other words, that's what we need to pray for our young people, that they would be excited to come into the church to study the word of God, to study the scriptures themselves. So we pray for them. The fourth thing is invite them. The or the third thing, rather. I'm jumping ahead here. Number three. The third thing is invite them. You know, follow this logically. If Jesus was angry with the disciples who were trying to hinder those bringing children to Jesus, it follows that he would be happy if people brought children to Jesus. We have neighbors. We have relatives. We have friends with children. We can and should invite them. 
I think of Andrew, who was always bringing people to Jesus. He brought that young lad to Jesus as described in John chapter 6. And as a result of bringing that child to Jesus, amazing things happen. We do not know what will happen when we bring a child to church. And there are, you know, it may have changed, but I don't think it has. Children are excited about church. There's an excitement about it, especially if people are enthused about seeing them. There's an excitement there. We don't know what will happen when we invite a a child to come to church. I think of the testimony that Chris Stringfellow just shared. Young people who came excited to hear were invited or came, and as a result of that are now are serving as pastors. Invite the children. We have Bible school coming up early in June. What a great opportunity to invite every Sunday, every Wednesday, invite. But then there's the fourth thing, invest in them. Invest in them. I'm thankful for the memorial gifts that were given uh, in memory of TM. And and if TM were here today, he'd be nodding his head to what I'm preaching because years ago he shared, probably almost 30 years ago, in a deacon's meeting, he said, we got to invest in the young people or we're going to lose reaching this church and I'm thankful that he said that then and I thought one of the great ways to honor him was that all of the money to send our youth to uh, Southeast Tennessee on mission were given as memorial gifts for him I'm, I'm thankful for that I thought what a way and I'm gonna let those youth know that and Matt that when they go serve uh, how important that was but their financial gifts in the ministry um, the financial gifts that were given allowed them to or allow is allowing them to go to southeast Tennessee one of the greatest financial needs for our midweek is purchasing snacks week in and week out some of y'all are doing that and some of y'all are pulling a heavy load doing that but that's a need and by the way we need a snack ministry coordinator going into the fall uh, with this and that you don't have to bring snack every time but you need to have a telephone you need to be able to contact somebody you need to say hey your schedule Wednesday can you bring the snack Sunday so that they'll be there for Wednesday we, we already have people laboring during the week they shouldn't have to prepare the lessons and then take care of something like snacks that's a practical way but we can invest financially but then the second thing we can invest is our time. You know, once time is spent, it cannot be retained. And one of the best ways to invest yourself is in young people. Because in all likelihood, young people will outlive you. It's not always the case, but many times it is. A man named Bob Hubbard taught me Sunday school when I was in fifth grade. And Bob... Um, I believe probably was a widower at that time, but he was a a senior adult. Sometimes we say we're too old. He was a senior adult, and he was working with us as boys, and I can always remember he would have a little trick with a coin that he would do, put it behind his ear, and we we loved that. But Bob Hubbard taught Sunday school to us each week, and he was the first person I can remember to take me 
on a visit with a shut-in. And it was hot in that place because it was a wood stove. And you know when you get up older, you got your blood gets thinner. And you, I remember we were sweating in there. It was during the winter. But we were taking food boxes. That impressed me. And I've always had a heart during that season to want to do that. He modeled that for us. John Gillette was like a Chris Stringfellow is to our young people. John Gillette was that to me. Every Wednesday, we had RA's, Royal Ambassadors. The first trophy I ever received was an RA. I've worked hard for it all year. We studied the Bible. We went on camping trips. Um, people that invested their time. I've shared about three gentlemen, Jack Martin, who just engaged new each week, Bob Hubbard, and John Gillette. They're, they're two things that these three men shared in common. These three men, the first thing, they're all deceased. Not one of them is walking on this earth now. And the second thing, their investment in young people has lived beyond what they're young now. I'm a testament to that. The question is, what does all this mean for me? Yeah, I thought about our youth ministry. We're limited. We're limited, but not like a lot of places are. We're not limited with space. We've got a gymnasium across the way. When I was talking with the men uh, at the cemetery the other day, they, they noticed that space isn't an issue. If you look at the back of your bulletin, and I'm thankful finances are not the limiting factor, not right now, by the grace of God. The limiting factor is people. It's people. As I talk with Matt, he has a lot of desires, ambitions, and he's young, sometimes I just have to say, we're not staffed to do that. And it's sad to say, but it's true. At the entrance of the church there, throughout the church in the coming weeks, are sheets of paper you can commit to serve here. We're asking four hours at least from every person in this church. If you're doing more than that, we're not telling you to cut your hours. We, we wouldn't do that. Being a mathematician, I had to look how many hours there were in a year, 8,674 hours out of 8,670 is point zero 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 four six of your time. That's four one-thousandths of your time to invest in the kingdom. You really ought to want to do more. Um, some of you, you can help in the middle of the week. Some of you, you say, hey, I'm organized. I can help with this, and I can take that off with student ministry, with the snacks. Some of you, we need, you see the children that are coming out. They're hearing God's word as I'm preaching even now you say hey i can commit once a month i can commence can commit once a quarter even if i'm just a male to be there or a female because we have a male student even if you say i can't teach but i'll be there but if you're able to teach being willing to teach 
We need to expand our Sunday school with youth. If you're a gifted teacher, now I didn't say not if you want to teach, but if you're a gifted teacher and you will resolve to commit to the task, you can see Matt, you can see Kimberly. Immediately after the service, workers are going to be um, over there. And I hope you'll stop by and just talk to them about it. They'll have something you can sign. You can help with the boys and the girls. You know, I'm thankful for the investments that were in them, that were placed in them. I, I can't communicate to you how indebted that I am to those that I listed and others who took the time. But I'm telling you, I'm 57 years old. I've been in church all my life. And I'm telling you, I can remember every single person who was involved. If you call their name, I could tell you where they were and what they did. I've even got something I made when I was six years old. It was some little strange animal called Be Kind. It was stuffed about that thick, and now it's that thin, made out of denim. I made it in VBS. I still have it in my drawer. Time invested. Time invested. You know, we'll leave this place today, and if we don't act on it, then it's like looking in a mirror and not adjusting ourselves in the morning. I don't know how God may be speaking to your heart today, but I'm telling you this. We're in a crisis in the nation and world with our kids, and if the church doesn't wake up, you're going to have a lot of problems going ahead. And we could even with, even with that. But our children, they're essential to God. And they mattered to Jesus. In closing, that last verse that I want to look at is a middle verse in this text. He says, truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. In other words, they thought, oh, we're talking about things too deep for these kids. Let's get rid of them. Jesus is saying, if you really want to enter the kingdom, you need to become like a child. And it didn't mean you need to put your thumb in your mouth or bite your fingernails. He didn't mean that you needed to throw a fit like a child might could do from time to time. But what he meant was this, childlike trust. Childlike trust. Just believing. Not hardened by life not having any thought for self or agenda, but simply believing. Wouldn't you come today in childlike faith and say, I want to trust Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the task at hand. It's very often in any task that we're grateful for, but Father, we are grateful for the task of making a difference in children and in youth. And Father, even now you're placing on our hearts children that may be here, youth who may be here in our community. And Father, your net is cast toward them. Lord, you care for them. Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, you have given us the responsibility of engaging with them, of investing in them, of praying for them, of being an example. And so, Lord, I pray today as we prepare our hearts, as we listen to this song and sing this song, that, Lord, you would show us 
and that we will begin to take the steps to make a difference in our young people's lives. And so, Father, I lift this prayer in Jesus' name.